Welcome to the 22nd episode of the No Degree Podcast. This is your host, Janai Iqbal, and today's guest is Stephen Poland, the founder and CEO of Pelocity. Pelocity is a powerful science-based approach for students, educators, and employers. Pelocity helps people understand their strengths and develop their skills so they can follow the path that is best suited for them. Stephen started off his career at Wendy's. He moved up the chain and eventually managed several franchises. He managed several dominoes and another pizza franchise. Oh, he also lost it all and bounced back. Learn how Stephen worked his way up and bounced back to get to where he is today. Subscribe to our Patreon at patreon.com slash no degree. Every contribution is appreciated. This show is impossible without you. Let's get this show started. Welcome to another episode of the No Degree Podcast. Today, I have Stephen Polin, the CEO and founder of Pelocity, and I'll let him finish my intro. Thank you for that. About 20 years ago, after I sold my initial company in 2004, this company was the internal HR for the company. They didn't want it. After had gone through that transaction, although I had a lot of satisfaction in the work that I was doing, the thing that was more important to me that I was really missing is really helping people who decided I wanted on a, a particular career path, realize that it was totally wrong for me and realize that how could I go about helping other people, considering the fact like myself, who grew up as an inner city kid saying not a lot of opportunity and realizing that how can I go back? Because I realized that if I could come from that environment, how many were we leaving behind? What does Pelocity do? You really help people understand their careers. So what can you just go in a little more in depth into what Pelocity does? Pelocity has two very distinct verticals. One is what we call the subscriber side, and that's for students, displaced workers, and military. And what it does is it takes them on a career exploration. So if you think about it, it's got two very unique built-in technologies. One is kind of like your GPS of your career, and the other is like the eHarmony of the business world. We're really looking at your talent to fit to jobs that traditionally you may not have thought of when you were out looking for a job because you didn't know that you were a good fit for it. That's amazing. And thank you for those analogies. I think that really helps, right? Because who doesn't know what a GPS is and what eHarmony is? So now let's kind of go back. Let's go back, you know, maybe high school or even middle school. How are things for you and what do you want to be? Because obviously one of your inspirations was you weren't guided correctly and now you created a company that guides people. It kind of started where, you know, like any kid, you know, growing up, you aspire what you see. You and I had our sports analogies and, you know, maybe we wish we had taken a, a little different career path. But, you know, realizing that I wasn't the kind of athlete that you know, that would take me to the next level, just really kind of realized that I had to find something. Part of what was really kind of that burning in my gut was really the fact that my parents, when they immigrated here to the United States, after World War II, very typical that they didn't speak the language, these very menial jobs worked their way up, and they realized that in order for them to have a family, that they had to do something that they were good at, and they got into the retail business. Watching how my dad grew that business and provided for our whole family and everything else, always had that kind of entrepreneurial fire there, but really just didn't think of it because our parents you know, really pushed towards education. Your dad was a big inspiration for you? Both my dad and mom were, you know, tremendous impact on our lives. They grew up with a very hardcore idea that the harder you work, the better the opportunities come. 
What other lessons did you really learn by watching them? Early on as a kid, you watch things that are happening. I thought what was really interesting in my dad's business and my mom's business, that they realized that some of the big box retailers were starting to come into the communities and things that nature. And they realized that even then that they weren't going to be able to compete. So what was really fascinating about it is watching my dad got together with other retailers, independent kind of retailers, and said, hey, if we can create a co-op of some kind that we can buy in larger quantities in order to allow us to be able to compete on a price basis. As you grow up, you know, you really didn't realize it back then. They were having meetings and things of that nature. But then as I got older, I really realized the impact of creating that kind of co-op or consortium, if you will, be able to buy things in bulk to be able to compete. What were your some of your earlier entrepreneurs? Because I know that whenever you have parents who do these things, that there's always some sort of entrepreneurial thing, whether it's selling lemonade or reselling sports cars. What was it for you? My parents, what was always fun about what they, you know, grew up as, as inner city. And then they realized that as we were growing up, they needed to move us out of the inner city if they wanted us to survive and really be successful. So we basically moved out to nowhere. What was interesting is that, to your point, is that all this new construction was going on and I had no way of making money. So my mom goes, well, why don't you go out and sell hot dogs? Here I was with my little radio flyer running around. I had boxes of already cooked hot dogs, chips and a drink, and I was selling it to the construction workers. Uh, We were selling everything for five bucks. (laughs) I did it. How did it end up working out? It was great. I mean, gave me enough money to go out and, you know, do the things, you know, parents said that, look, if you want to make it, you want to go buy something, you have to earn it. So it worked out really great. We did it for a whole summer. Realized that we actually, by the end of summer, we had made like almost $1,200. Wow. And this was, how old were you guys? We were right about nine and 11 years old. I mean, that that's a, even that's a lot of money for a 12-year-old now. Oh, we right? didn't even understand how much that was. <laughs> what were some of the other entrepreneurial journeys? So that was the first one. Well, what was interesting is that, like a lot, is that uh, you know dropped out of school, dropped out of college, really trying to figure out what I could do. And of course, when I was going, my parents couldn't afford. So I basically was working two jobs. One was at Wendy's and the other was at Western Sizzler. So while you're in school, you know, one of your biggest challenges is where am I going to eat? Doing that in the morning and then working at Western Sizzler, I never realized I had so many friends because every time somebody would send something back, you know, I talked to the manager and says, hey, look, you know, we're college students. Can I take, you know, take home? what people are sending back. And they said, sure. Well, where my real opportunity came into play is that the owner of the Wendy's, it was a franchisee, they used to do employee of the month. Of course, for me back then, 50 bucks was a lot of money. What happened, he got, his wife took ill, he called corporate and wanted to sell back to the corporate, to corporate Wendy's. Wendy's came down and they were, they needed obviously a store manager. And they kept seeing this name come up on the employee of the month and going, wow, if this guy's that good, he'd make a great manager. Obviously, they called me up and back then in college, long hair, piercings, things of that nature. I'm sitting out there with my back to where they're looking over and the guy's going, I've been waiting for almost 30 minutes. Is this guy going to show up? The manager goes, that's him sitting out there. And so... (laughs) So he kind of, he was very reluctant about coming out. He walked out, came up to me, and he didn't realize I was a college student because how many college students get up? People don't realize that 
Wendy's being one of those restaurants that did everything fresh and everything else, that they really had to get there at five o'clock in the morning to do all the prep work. For me, he's sitting there thinking that, you know, no college student would get up at five o'clock in the morning to work that shift. And of course, he came to me and said, look, I was looking for someone and, you know, you're just not old enough to be the manager. And I go, well, okay, thanks. You know, went to get up and he goes, well, look, you're getting into the summertime. What are you doing? He goes, uh, well, I'm going to be working here to make money for next semester. He goes, well, would you be interested in going to Ohio, our management institute, just going through the training for trained to be a store manager? I go, I'd love to, but are you paying me for it? And he goes, well, of course, you know, we'll pay you. So I went up there and uh, did really well. The guy who's the lead instructor says, wow, you're really good at this. Would you stick around for another three weeks and become a multi-unit manager? I go, and? And he goes, of course, yeah, we'll continue to pay you. Then after I finished that, he goes, well, we only have one more certification, and that's train the trainer. Would you be willing to go through it? I said, hey, as long as you're willing to pay me, I'm going to continue to do it. So that's how I kind of got into it. And that was really my first opportunity was that they finally said, look, you're not old enough to be a store manager, but would you stay on board and become an instructor? And so that's where I got my first opportunity. The things you learned early on in your career from the training at Wendy's, you're using some of it now to this day? Oh, absolutely. What's always fascinating early on in your career as you're learning I always like using the analogy like in The Karate Kid, he's sitting there saying, I want you to wax the car, wax on, wax off and painting, and you're doing it. And you don't really put it all into in the order that you need to put it in to understand what you're doing. But certainly later on in my career, it really was a value for me to really have gone through and had those kind of personal experiences. You mentioned you dropped out of college. Why did you end up going and what caused you to drop out? Like anything, parents who immigrated to the United States, one of their things that they recognized that education was the economic divide. They felt that if you went on to college and they always wanted uh, their children's lives to be better than theirs, and they felt the way that you would accomplish that is going to school, getting your degree, graduating from high school, and then going on to college. That's why you went. Why'd you drop out? And what was your parents' reaction for dropping out? It just broke their heart because they just realized that as kids, we have potential. I mean, your parents always believe that your child has some potential, but for them to be able to understand, especially the market here in the United States, is very different after the war than it was over in Europe. So I just realized and said to my dad, I go, you know, as much as I know and how important this means for, for us and for the family, for me to go to college, I realized that there was something more. I had a greater calling in life than working behind a desk or getting a degree. And did they ever come to terms with that? They didn't until the first time I bought my first franchise. <laughs> okay, okay. Sometimes you just got to show them and then they realize, oh, okay, I guess Steven knows what he's doing. How long did you work at? Let's go back to Wendy's. How long did you sort of work there? You got this training. Yep. Tell us more about that. What happened is while I was up at the corporate office in Columbus, Ohio, you always get an opportunity, especially when you're doing the training, you get an opportunity to meet a lot of people, especially people who would buy franchises. They would come in because they actually had you know, the Wendy's Management Institute. So they would actually send whoever was going to be their COO or whoever was going to be our vice president of operations. They would send them there. And for 12 weeks, they would go through that course. During that time, I met a lot of really fabulous people. A lot of athletes who would buy franchises for their investments and things of that nature. 
And one of the fun parts was is that I had the opportunity to meet Ken Thomas. Ken Thomas was actually the founder uh, son, R. David Thomas. And yes, there is a Wendy, and I met her as well. During that time, it was always funny. You always hear the story about how the Northerners, especially from Ohio, the snowbirds head south to Fort Lauderdale and things of that nature. And what happened is his dad ended up, Ken got engaged. His dad gave him the South Florida franchise as a wedding gift. And he goes, Steve, look, he goes, I have no interest in running this thing. How would you like to come down and take the opportunity to help me open up stores and things of that nature? And that's what I did. Wow, that's a story. I know someone who met the Wendy. How long did you end up doing Wendy's and what was your what step? Well, what was really interesting is going there, I spent almost six years there. We went from zero stores to over 23 stores. And of course, at that time, based off of the size and the market, the South Florida market was just a tremendous market for Wendy's. And of course, Ken was looking for an exit strategy and corporate came in and bought us out. How long was that? What was the time frame? It was for six years. It was in the mid 80s, 85, 86. Now you got bought out. What happened? What was interesting, again, being in that business, especially in South Florida and Wendy's back then, you get to meet an awful lot of people. Wendy's did a lot of sponsorships like the Boca ATP tennis tournament. So I got to meet the Chris Everts and Jimmy Connors and John McEnroe and got to meet all these really cool people. And, you know, I got to meet other wealthy people who came down to South Florida is their winter home. And what was fascinating after that is a gentleman who knew the Thomases, he ended up with a Domino's franchise. He goes, look, I heard what you did for them. I'd like you to do the same for me that what you did for them. They're in South Florida, did the same thing for them. About five years later, corporate came in and bought them out. What was always interesting is that I really never realized how much I was getting paid. They were paying for my apartment. You know, I had transportation, but once after those, you know, gosh, almost 10 years, I went to the bank one day and says, hey, I want to cash out. I'm you know, going to take a sabbatical and going skiing and doing all these fun things. And she goes, well, you know, how much do you want? And I go, all of it. Well, what was funny, she dropped that little deposit slip in there, handed it to me and realized that I had made my first million. Wow. That's a lot. So you didn't even know. No. Yeah, you had. Well, like, why didn't you know you didn't check your account or. How? Well, well, you know, it, it, they paid for everything. I mean, come on. You're in your late teens, uh, your late 20s, early 30s, South Florida, Miami and Fort Lauderdale in spring break. What else could you ask for at that time in your life? I mean, it was the best of all worlds. So now you took the sabbatical. Why did you take the sabbatical and what did you learn during the sabbatical? Well, you know, what I really wanted to do is that obviously during that time, taking a lot of opportunities, you never get to know enough about yourself. You always have these wonderful teams around you who help make you look successful and they do fabulous jobs and things of that nature. And, you know, I've always been adventurous. I've, I've raced cars and raced motorcycles and climbed some mountain and did things like that. And I love skiing. And so what I wanted to do is just take a season kind of travel around all over the United States from Colorado to Utah to New Mexico to Vancouver, British Columbia, and just took uh, some time off, you know, to go and uh, have some fun. How long was your sabbatical? It was about uh, a little over a year, about 13 months. And uh, finally, my dad called up one day. I didn't realize that he was, uh, his health had declined the way it did, asked me to come home. And that's when I uh, decided that, you know, I needed to go back home and check and see how things were going. 
And then, so you stopped the sabbatical. Now, when did you start going? What was your next venture or job? What did you end up doing next? What was interesting is that because of the relationships I had built in the franchise market, two of the executives for Domino's Pizza went out and started their own franchise. And it was called uh, Pizza Pronto. They knew I was very successful. And so they kept calling me. They knew that I knew a lot of people who had bought franchises around the United States and things of that nature. I mean, during that time I was doing that, I mean, I must have trained, you know, 60, 80 people who had bought franchises around the country. I think one of the things they said that if they realized that if I would come in and I knew I was successful, that not only because of my background, that they would be able to sell a lot of franchises than they did. You did that franchise. What other franchises were you involved in in your life? That was the only one. And of course, the bad part about it, uh, that's where I lost everything. Uh, The parent company defaulted. They ended up closing up shop. The vendors who we bought our products from and things of that nature, they got burnt so bad, they ended up suing the corporate and uh, quit selling to us. So we had to make a decision. Did I only want to run you know, a couple or three franchises? I bought a five-store package. They said, did I want to continue that? I found that it was very difficult without some additional support. Uh, that's one reason why you buy into a franchise. And I ended up having to close it and lost everything I made. Wow. So you lost everything. So now you lost everything. How'd you feel? What was your thought process? And what'd you do next? Well, what was really funny, it it embarrassed my parents, but I ended up working at a car wash and delivering pizzas. Wow. So you were the franchise. Now you're the actual worker. But I know for some people, you made this much money, you ran stuff. Now, did it was it a a blow to your ego to sort of work as a delivery driver? Or you were just like, no. No, that's one reason why I took that course is that I didn't want any responsibilities. I just wanted to make enough money, you know, to pay my basic expenses and things of that nature. It was a very difficult time. I mean, here it is that you've become so successful. You worked so hard for all those years. And all of a sudden, within 18 months, you lose everything. Your dream, your passion, you know, everything that you thought, your dreams of growing it and selling like you did the other companies in the franchise world and saying how successful I've become even more than I had been before. So you're working at the pizza. So how long was that car wash and pizza? And then when did you sort of move on to your next venture and what triggered you? It was about six or eight months. What was really kind of uh, the part that was so difficult is that my the car wash was where close to where my parents lived. And the pizza place was also very close to it. And so people would drive in. They go, wow, Steve, I didn't know you bought the car wash. And I go, I don't, I work here. And, uh, and then, of course, one night, a very close friend of the family had ordered pizzas and uh, I was delivering and the kid, you know, the, one of the kids go, mom, Steve's at the door. And they go, what's well, let him in. He goes, he's got the pizzas. So they came to the door. They were extremely close friends of my parents. It got to my parents and my, it really, it broke their heart. They knew how hard I had worked. Uh, they knew the sacrifices that had been made, you know, and things of that nature. And at the end of the day, they go, look, you're better than this. And of course, one of the things that they had always taught us that no job was below us. I just did what I needed to do to survive. But they felt that there was more to what I could do than just doing that. And they said, look, you were successful. You need to dust yourself off and you need to get back on the horse. You need to do what you need to do. What'd you do? Well, what was interesting, I had a brother that happened to be in the finance business. He goes, hey, you know, look, why don't you come and check it out? I mean, you know, what do you have to lose? So I went to work there. They offered me a job. I worked there. And after almost a year, 
I realized what a cash cow business it was. That entrepreneur spirit grew up in me. I ended up starting my own finance company. What type of finance company was it? It was called NCC Business Services. And actually, it was on the collection side. Uh, it was called NCC Business Services. In 2004, as I mentioned, I saw, uh, I ended up selling out to my brothers, which is uh, in 2004. And that's where I took on the HR role of where we are today. HR is very different from what you've had experienced in, right? Why HR and how did your skills translate? And what attracted you to HR? One of the things I found that was really interested is that in that business, the people that the collection industry really attracted were really a lot of undesirables back then. If you talk to a college student or you know someone who was considered an A or B player, you'd say, hey, you know, there's a lot of money to be made. They end up saying, you know, nah, hey, look, it sounds really interesting, but it's not something I want to do. So during that time uh, when I started it, uh, again, I almost went out of business because I had lots of business. But because I came from a corporate background and I was trying to create this corporate environment in the collection business back then, it just people were not professional in that industry. That's where I got turned on to using assessment tools. That's where my business partner today, Dr. Les Krieger, he's an IO psychologist, started exposing me to, you know, these use of these assessment tools and how to build models to attract your talent. You mentioned that the people were not professional because you're not getting college students, you're getting other people. What ended up working with them? How'd you make this? Because you said you almost went to, right? It almost went out of business, but you recovered. What ended up working for them? When I reached out to Dr. Krieger, you know, he started mentioning that at the end of the day, each person's personality fits some jobs, you're like an ideal match for it. And uh, I said, well, you know, I asked questions and he goes, questions are great, but oftentimes people tell you what you want to hear. You know, there are people who are great interviewers and things that nature. And unless you started using these tools that really allowed me to start identifying what's underneath that persona, that person, you know, who I'm looking at, what other skill sets do they bring to the table? And it was really fascinating. I mean, it worked. What was fascinating about our business that I went from almost a 200% turnover to less than a 19% turnover in less than uh, a year. Part of it was that you were screening people through assessment. Now, what about after they got in? What were some other things, what were some other measures you took to sort of keep them on? Well, one of the uh, really important things was is that we created a very in-depth training program. More than just, uh, we ended, it ended up being a 30-day program. It was actually, we went to such a degree in this training program that we were actually approved by the ACA, which is the American Collecting Association, as a, a premier provider of uh, training collectors. Wow. So you actually got it that in depth. And did you see a big change like in terms of how, did you interact with the workers differently? Did you realize like, hey, I thought I had to do things this way. Now, if I adjusted things, things are better. Well, what was really interesting uh, is that most of the people I were hiring were people who came from the underserved community. And what was fascinating about it is that what really drove me ultimately to make that decision to where I am today is that I started bringing on people, you know, like I was working with the Hubbard House, which was for battered women. I would bring them in. I would train them. You know, within six months, they're making forty, fifty thousand $50,000 a year. And these people are sitting there going, you know, they would tell other like-minded people and before you realize it, you know, we were offering back then, you know, it was almost unheard of offering childcare and insurances and 
you know, paid vacation and things of that nature. And that's where my business background and my corporate background really played in because what was interesting is that one of the things I made these people do is I made them wear ties and dress up to work. I wasn't going to let them come in, you know, like today. I mean, the times have changed and you know, we're in a whole different environment, but what it made them feel like, it was always funny. They'd come walking in with their suitcases and you know, their briefcases, but all they'd have in there is their lunches. But when they walked into the building, it made them feel so good about themselves because they were dressed up. And in their mind, although other people didn't perceive it as a professional career, they did. So you made them really feel valued and special. They already were. They just You just had to give them an opportunity to realize who they were. Now you sold this business and you did the assessment. How did you grow that? And how was that journey like? Well, you know, what's really interesting about my career is that I've gone from the burger business to the pizza business, to the finance business, and into the consulting business. Most people don't make one career. How could you go from here to here to here? And I'd say, you know, look, the fundamental pieces of business is integrity, how you treat your people, how you value them, and giving them an opportunity. Those things maintained all through those companies. And it didn't take me till the latter part of my career to finally start connecting the dots to realize how fortunate I had been, the great mentors that I had had along the way, and uh, how great of an impact I could have on an individual's life. You're doing these assessment tests. How did you sort of grow the business? And what was the original goal? And did you end up doing or you ended up changing, right? Because things always change. Oh, yeah. You have to pivot in business. What had happened is that at the time, because of Dr. Krieger, he had taught at, at several universities, taught up at, at Rutgers, Duquesne, UNF, and things of that nature. And so he was very well published. What was interesting is that he basically was retiring from the professor, uh, faculty, adjunct professor at the university. And I was so intrigued by the science of what he brought to the table. I said, look, I would like to start a company and I would like you to be part of it. And of course, you know, he had remembered me from back when he when he first met me with my longer hair and things of that nature. And, you know, he was a very polished Northeastern gentleman who went to Rutgers and got his PhD and things of that nature and taught at Duquesne. He goes, you know, I, I don't think so. <laughs> and uh, ultimately, I convinced him because, you know, what was really unique about him and my personalities is that we really cared about people. And he personally had said on multiple boards in the underserved community and things of that nature. And so I think that's really what attracted him and why it allowed us to put the company together and be successful with it. Now, obviously, technology has changed. How have the sort of the tests changed over time, right? Because I'm pretty sure more research is coming out, things come out, you guys refine. Sometimes old tests are no longer used, new tests. So can you tell the audience more about that? Oh, yeah. To your point, the traditional assessments that are out in the world they are, are, are questionnaires that are, you know, and I won't get too geeky on you, is that in the United States, they uh, call it as using normative data or normative questionnaires. So what it does, it, it's multiple choice and things of that nature. And, you know, exactly to your point, fast forward now, 20 years later, you have all these tech companies that are building algorithms and doing data mining and, you know, doing all this other really cool stuff now. And they're doing predictive outcomes, too. But one of the things that we have learned through artificial intelligence and building out these algorithms, there's still some basis biases built in because 
people are still programming the coding that goes into it, and there's bias there. So the assessments still have a place. I believe that the future uh, will continue to transition as they collect more data and do that big data mining and things like that that uh, is taking place today. We see that's why we ultimately went from our ATG, which is Assessment Technology Group, to building Pulosity because we knew that we had to build a really true technology interface to be able to service the future. Yeah, I mean, I went through your website and a lot of testing companies, their websites are really outdated, right? It's like they need a refresh. So yours is pretty on point. Now, let's kind of go back to you. So you created this company and you really wanted to impact students, right? What results have you sort of seen? Because you had the issue where you went and you didn't know what you want to do in college, right? And you had these opportunities that sort of happened. What do you sort of do for students? And can you share some stories? Oh, yeah, I've got a great one for you. So what was interesting is that I realized that that market was an extremely competitive uh, landscape. Oftentimes, some of my friends would say, go, Steve, you've got probably one of the hardest heads of anyone I know. Why don't you go after the underserved community? You know it as well as anybody else, and there's no competition there. That and in the military space. I ended up, because of my relationships here in Jacksonville, growing up here and things of that nature, I went to several of the schools. Uh, talked with our superintendent, and I said, "Look, I'd like to do a pilot with three of you know the more most difficult schools in Jacksonville. Jacksonville has 164 schools, and so I picked three of the inner city high schools. In doing that, I started uh, testing, uh, not testing, but you know, actually deploying our technology and uh, taking these kids on these career explorations." And what was fascinating, after they saw their top 15 job matches, they go, wow, I always wanted to do that, or I don't want to do that. And I'd say, well, let me show you why that potential job would be a great fit for you. And then what was interesting is when I showed them videos about it and things that nature, or what their potential earnings were and things that nature, they started going, hey, I'd like to do that. I was at one of the schools here, Rebald High School in Jacksonville, and uh, they asked me to come and speak at Career Day. And so I was there speaking, and afterwards, the city of Jacksonville, the mayor has its summer internship and apprenticeship program. And one of the young men in the audience heard me speak. He came up to me. His name was Derek Brown. He says, I love your story. I'm going to be the first-gen kid in our family. I want to be a web developer. And I said, well, you know, why did you choose web developer? He goes, because I, I love designing. I love technology. So we took him through our velocity, and what was really fascinating, his top 15 was so STEM-centric, you know, in engineering and all these other things. I look, you are much better than a web developer. And I would highly recommend you going to school and getting your degree in computer science. Well, I'm happy to say three years later, Derek Brown is graduating from Savannah State University with his computer science degree. Wow. They know what their interests are, but they don't know how that translates to a career, right? They don't know what career it translates to. Why do you think there's such a gap? One of the the unique things about our company is that we always realized that we wanted to be a science-based organization. So we work with uh, universities around the country, like San Diego State, Northwestern, Emory, University of Florida, and we do research with them. You know, we find different through workforce development and things that nature. And what we found is that Oftentimes, people think that if I have an interest, then it's something that I want to do. What we found that interest is not a good predictor 
of job success and job tenure because oftentimes people confuse interest with passion. Mm, so passion is the real, would you say passion is the real indicator, brother? Passion is one of the top five. What's always funny is that I had a, a friend of mine who his son, he was a skateboarder. He loved to skateboard. And his dad was so frustrated. He was, you know, he owned a, a successful insurance company and things of that nature. All of a sudden, he bought himself a camera. And of course, YouTube was getting really popular. He started filming his friends and everything else. Next thing you know, he's uploading these videos online and started getting hits from all around the world. People were sending in stuff. And now he makes more money than his dad does. Wow. It's just interesting how these things happen. So what you said passion is one of the top five. What are some of the other top ones that sort of indicate? One of the things, the number one is grit. When you think about the world of work today, and when we sit down and we talk to the kids in the underserved community and things of that nature, one of the things they have is grit. What's interesting, when you sit down with them, where their next meal is coming from, at the end of the day, their families don't want to tell you know the caseworker that they don't have a place to stay because they don't want them to go into foster care. Grit is the number one. One of the things that grit really shows is resilience. The other thing after resilience come problem solving. What's interesting is kids that come in and from the inner city, what's amazing, they all they think about is that they're just doing something to survive. They don't realize that it's grit. They don't realize that, you know, it's problem solving. They don't realize that they have all the attributes to be extremely successful. Yeah, no, I mean, sometimes you just don't know, right? It's normal life and you just think, hey, this is normal. This is what I go through. Now, have you been able to sort of convince employers? Because sometimes employers want a certain person who went to a certain school, comes from a certain background. What role has your company played when it comes to convincing them like, hey, you know what? You got to change up your processes if you can actually get better employees if you do X, Y, Z, as opposed to your current method. Well, one of the interesting things in our world where I talked about the science is what they call validation study. When you have enough data, you can do validation studies and see what the outcome and if you're predicting the right outcome. You know, have you selected, you know, the right attributes that dictate success in that role? You know, have you identified and weighted those accordingly what are essential, what's important, and then what's other relevant. And, you know, in doing that, we were able to, through validation studies, and what we would always do is we would give it to the colleges because the colleges are a third-party provider. They don't care whether it works or not. All they want to know is, you know, they're going to do a validation study, and if the outcome is right, good, excuse me, if the outcome is, is good, then they'll tell you it works. If it doesn't, they'll tell you it doesn't work. No, I mean, that's very helpful. Did you ever come at a point where you not having a degree became an issue or did you ever personally feel something about it? Absolutely. Because sometimes with some of the companies that we work with, you know, one of our first major projects we ever landed is we ended up because of Les's white paper, we got a call by Disney Cruise Line. That was fascinating because Disney has a very unique culture that they like to call their Disney-esque experience. So, doesn't matter if you go to their hotels or you go to their theme parks or on their cruise lines or things of that nature. It has to be a very special person, someone that knows how, understands how to work really hard. And on the other side, have really good customer service skills. Because on the cruise ships, because the ships aren't registered in the United States, these people are working 80 hours a week and don't think anything of it. And then on top of it, creating and, and, and showing people that experiences, 
you know, I think what's fascinating is like today, when you think about fast food, everybody goes, fast food hires terrible people. Well, I come back to them and say, why is Chick-fil-A so successful? Because, you know, the way that they train and hire their people, these people bring those right skill sets. And when you go through there, they do twice as much as the average McDonald's. It goes to show that it doesn't matter whether it's fast food. It really comes down to the culture and how you ultimately end up treating people. When was a time that you personally felt way about not having a degree? What's interesting is that we have some you know, pretty prominent companies that we work with. When you're sitting there, just like that, they see and they go, when you connect with them on LinkedIn, you can see they came from Harvard or you see they came from Stanford or Georgia Tech, or you know, any one of the great universities that are out there. And they'd go, well, where did you go to school? Or they saw uh, that you went to USF. What was your degree in? I go, I attended it, but I don't have a degree there. I ended up dropping out. From that time, you can just see the expression on their face and things of that nature. And of course, today, it's a lot more acceptable because you talk about Mark Zuckerberg and Steve Jobs and Bill Gates and all it you know, got accepted in Harvard and Stanford and everything else. They ended up dropping out because, like myself, I had a, a greater passion for entrepreneurship. Now, you personally are pretty happy with how you ended up and the work you're doing. What advice would you have for kids today? Let's say they need you know, a college route is not for them for whatever reason. What advice would you have? Like, what would you say so that they get started on the right foot? Obviously, they need to go through some of, and I hate being feel a little guilty trying to promote some of the stuff we do, but I would like for them to take their velocity from that. It really allows them to do uh, that deep dive and be able to understand because oftentimes they don't have the career coaches in their schools. Every once in a while, you come across a really wonderful teacher who's willing to you know, invest in them and, and give them some guidance and mentor them and things of that nature. Or they get into one of the programs like Big Brothers, Big Sisters, or Boys and Girls, or you know, Junior Achievement, or something that really provides some great mentoring and insight and things of that nature that can really help them. But the part to it is that follow your dream. I mean, Success is defined in a lot of different ways today. Some people still want to measure one success by, you know, materialistic things. Other people today are talking about, you know, they want lifestyle careers because, you know, they're looking for a more lifestyle balance in the work that they do. They want to be able to volunteer or, you know, do things in the community that have given them the same opportunity that someone provided to them. So one final question before we wrap up. You've caused a lot of impact. You've done a lot of things. What's there left for you to do? I know that with the work that we do in the underserved community, it is one of the greatest untapped resources of talent in our community. One of my other passions that I'm working with today, we've been talking with the Department of Correction to build a ARVR program for early release prisoners because we know that after three years, look, if you went in with no skill, and you come out with no skill, you're going to default to whatever you were successful at. And if it was stealing or whatever it was that you were doing, you're going to do what you need to do to survive. My thing is, is that I know that after three years, I think the number is, you know, in the high 70 percentile, the recidivism rate that they're going to go back in 36 months. I mean, what a great annuity to be in that business, knowing that you've got this revolving door that are going to keep bringing people back. 
So we've got about 17 different programs. One that we're looking at is in the apprenticeship, which is going to be electricians. The beauty of it is we have now gotten a national electric company that is interested in being our uh, sponsor. And uh, what they want to do is that they believe that we're getting really close to launching that 80% of the training in the apprenticeship program could be in augmented reality. So before they come out, during that 12 months before they hit the street again, they're going to get all of this training in this 3D environment. During that, I get to see what they're doing, how they're doing, how they're progressing. And the beauty of it is it's not a one-size-fits-all. I can taper that training based off of how well they're progressing. I don't have to do one size, one class, that if I happen to find someone you know, that's taking their time, their personalities, they're analytical, that at the end of the day, they can do it in their own pace, in their own time. Because oftentimes what we've learned about a lot of students that end up dropping out of high school, they get behind and they think that their only solution is to drop out. And I believe that if we can change that mindset and realize that people learn at different paces, just because you learn slow, I'm a perfect example. When I was in junior high school, they go, your son's slow. What they found out is that fast forward, when they were able to finally identify one's IQ and things of that nature, what they found out by assessing me, they found out that I was extremely analytical and that it wasn't that I was slow. I just liked thinking through the whole process. That if I was taking something apart, I wanted to learn how to put it back together the right way. That's amazing. Everybody's different and it makes sense why you're so successful, that you really broke things down. You really looked at all the pieces, and that's why you were able to identify and succeed. So I just want to thank you for your time. I know the audience will benefit from this. I love the work that you're doing, and I know you'll keep on having much more impact. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for you and having your podcast, No Degree. Uh, you know, it's so important today. The future of what we're seeing, and we've worked with a lot of the with workforce development and things of that nature, the jobs of the future they don't even have pedagogy for it. They don't even have curriculum for it. Those are going to be degrees, upskilling, you know, certifications and things of that nature. And I'm going to tell you that there is a bright future and don't give up. Stay committed to who you are. Make sure that your integrity is the number one thing. You just follow your passion. And I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity today to talk about my life and career. It's not often uh, people want to hear about people who come from the underserved community and, and how they've become successful and how they can share that with other people. So thank you for what you're doing. Yeah. So let me tell you, you know how sometimes you say, hey, they asked you, did you get a degree? And then you say you dropped out and they, they have a look. When I looked at your LinkedIn profile, I saw the Florida. So when you said you didn't have a degree, I had a sigh of relief. Like, yes. I can have this guy on my podcast. So just wanted to share that with you. Thank you very much. And uh, look forward to talking to you more. Definitely. Have a good one. Another great episode. Thank you for listening. Hopefully this information was valuable and you learned a lot. Stay tuned for the next episode. This show is sponsored by you. No Degree wants to remain free from influence so that we can talk about the topics without bias. If you think the show's worth a dollar or two, please check out our Patreon page. Any amount is appreciated and will go towards making future episodes even better. Follow us on Instagram or Snapchat at No Degree Podcast. On Facebook at Facebook.com slash No Degree INC. If you want to personally reach out to me, connect or follow me on LinkedIn at Janaid Iqbal, spelled J-O-N-A-E-D 
last name I-Q-B-A-L. Until next time, no degree, no problem, nodegree.com. Yeah, so, you got no degree, no problem, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving, growing and knowing, wisdom is flowing, if you didn't know, now you know where I'm going, if you didn't know, now you know, let's sing that again everybody, no degree, no problem, any problem, we can solve them, Insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. No degree, no problem. Any problem, we can solve them. LinkedIn insomnia keeps us evolving. We're growing in the knowing, the wisdom is flowing. If you didn't know, now you know where I'm going. Yeah.